Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. It's the monster from the swamps, Regis Ruguru Program. Hey, what's up? This is King Carlos Molina, former IBF world champ. This is Michael, the bounty hunter, 2012 Olympian and your people's champ. This is Charlie Edwards, flyweight champion of the world. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 358 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined, as ever, by former heavyweight world title challenger, Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. Eddie, how you doing this week, my man? I'm doing great. How about you? Always good when speaking with you, Eddie. I'm going to dive straight into the review part of the show, actually. We're going to dive straight in. Um, I'm going to start here in Saudi you know, the big one, at the Jeddah Superdome in Jeddah, obviously live on Sky Sports Box Office in the UK, on the zone, pretty much everywhere else. Um, let's start with the undercard, actually. Um, I'm going to start with this guy here, Daniel Lapine. I'm going to come to you, Eddie, straight away, actually. Daniel Lapine, um, you watched the fight pretty much for me, because we couldn't, I couldn't seem to get a stream for it, so I was on the phone to you for most of this, but obviously Lapine moved to 6-0, and still doesn't have a knockout to his name just yet, but he beat Joseph Jerko, um, who's now 9-7 uh, and seven with a draw. He won every round, Lapine. Um, just very briefly, because it's only a small undercard fight, but did you see anything you liked from Lapine, the big six foot six light heavy? I've seen how he could be very difficult to fight. Um, but he's gonna be—it's gonna—it's gonna be pop, hard for him to become popular because he's not a puncher. He—he uh, he has talent. He has a, an understanding of how to use his size. Um, he got a close a couple of times, but it was only by his uh, his desire to do so. He felt, I think, pretty much unthreatened by the kid he was fighting. Uh, I know it's kind of hard to say you know punches are born, not made, but he's gonna have to find a way to work on it because that's where his his his. Um, his marketability is going to be like sought. It's like most people are going to watch him and say, ah, you know, he, he's talented, he's good, he's got good speed and understanding of range, good punch selection, but is he going to be exciting to watch? Or a lot of his fights are going to be snooze fest, especially the ones he, he's going to obviously be winning. So uh, it's going to be difficult, but he's a but he's a spectacle. He's a huge guy, you know, at you know being at six foot six and that weight. But, um, yeah, it, it, he's, he's got ability. He's got some sharpness, got skill. But I'm not sure how marketable he's going to be without being able to get those guys out of there. He's going to have to be able to do a little bit of it. You know, if you look at a guy like myself who didn't knock everyone out, but I still had got respect and I still hurt people and the shots you could actually respect. And there was swelling and all kind of things on people's faces. So you do need some pop. To, and, and also, you got to be able to get respect. So once he gets to a certain level, will he still be able to get the respect of these guys? Because size is not going to just by itself do it. Yeah, absolutely. And um, yeah, you speak about you 
hurting guys and getting their respect. I think they're still looking for Dimitrenko's gum shield to this day. Um, and we're gonna. <laughs> we're gonna move on. We're gonna move on from Daniel Lapine, the six foot six Ukrainian light heavyweight signed to Usyk Promotions. Um, elsewhere on the card, the Olympic silver medalist Ben Whitaker, now two and zero, he was able to beat unanimously over six rounds Peter Nosic, who's now six and one. He was undefeated going in. Ben Whitaker actually stopped this guy in just one round in the amateurs. So I think a lot of people thought he'd get him out of there, but no. He took him the six rounds. Um, Ramla Ali with an absolute shock, in my opinion. I mean, she was a massive favourite going in, but I think her record was 6-0 and with just one KO win, and she got in with Crystal Garcia Nova, who was 10-2, and but all 10 wins came by KO. So I thought Ramla Ali's going to try and box and move, really, and not stand and bang with Crystal, uh, uh, Crystal Nova. But... Uh, certainly early anyway, but no, it wasn't to be. She got her out in just one round. Ramla Rally with a first round KO absolutely shocked me, that did. I was really um, happy for her, but yeah, I did not see that one coming. Ramla Ali now 7-0, and Crystal Garcia Nova now 10-3. and um, Yeah, what else did we have on the card? Andrew Tabiti moved to 20 wins. He's got one loss, of course. His opponent, James Wilson, retired on his stall after five rounds. Didn't want to come out for round six of an eight-rounder there. James Wilson loses his O. He's now 7-1 and one with a draw. Took some really, really big shots as well just before they um, stopped it in the corner between rounds. Um, Tabiti was beginning to get through, and he really seemed to hurt Wilson several times. I think Wilson um, is a career uh, career heavyweight. Obviously, Tabiti, a cruiserweight that, that, that actually came in here at 216 and three quarters. So I don't know if we're going to see him back down at cruiser, but I don't know what the future holds for him. Talking of guys, uh, talking of cruiserweight guys, we should say, Badu Jack with a questionable win this time. Um, as I've said before, never ever should he be at cruiserweight. Let's be totally honest. Um, I don't like seeing him there. I've told the story so many times. He's not like a... A big, strong guy, Badu Jack, you know. I've met him in person, and I'll never forget how kind of... He felt like a big teddy bear. He, he felt really kind of soft around the body, whereas there's some boxers that you can, you know, um, put your arm around them, and you can kind of feel the muscles through their T-shirt. Like, this is a big, strong guy, but he felt really like um, just, just any normal guy that you'd hug at the bus stop. Um, but, yeah... And, and and that was before he was even a cruiserweight, mind you. So I'm not even sure what he'd be like now, uh, you know. But anyway, he's now 27-3 and three with three draws. Um, a split decision win over 10 rounds against Richard Rivera, who's now 21-1. and one. He loses his O. 6-4 to Jack on one card. 6-4 to Rivera on the other card. And 6-4 to Jack on the final card, um, which, of course, clinched him that split decision. But... Yeah, I said it on last week's show, and Jack has, has, has been having meaningless fights for a few years now. Um, you know, he come up against a guy here who I don't think was that great, but, you know, he was very big, uh, very strong, very unorthodox. And Jack seemed to have some real trouble early on, and Jack's feet as well were shockingly slow from what I could see. Um, 
I thought that Jack lost the fight, to be honest, and he's a friend of the show. I do really like Badu Jack. I hoped he'd win. Um, I bet on him to win. So I was happy in the end when they gave him the decision, but I don't think he actually deserved it. Um, I probably had it about 7-3 for Rivera. I don't know if you saw the fight, Eddie. I'm not going to come to you right now. You know, if you want to say something on it, you you can do in a few moments. But, um, yeah, I I, I almost want to see the back of Badu Jack now. I don't think... He needs to continue. I think he's got to the stage now where, you know, he's having these last couple paydays. He's trying to kind of, you know, what would you call it? Like, um, I guess, squeeze what he has left of the Badu Jack name, being a former Mayweather Promotions fighter, a former world champion. He's he's, he's had a great um, career, to be honest, beating some unbelievable fighters, you know. Um, but I think that's it. I don't want to see him fight at Cruiserweight. He's far too small. Um, and yeah, I think it was a bit of a gift decision really for Badu Jack. Um, let's move up the card. Let's move up the card. We're going to go now to the Philip Hergovich Zilly Zhang fight now. Um, Philip Hergovich now 15 and 0. Another questionable win here on points. Um, so yeah, Hergovich 15 and 0. Zilly Zhang now 24 and 1 with a draw. I said it on last week's show to bet on. Hergovich to win the fight by knockout is printing money. I said that the fight, no way in the world goes the distance. I was ready to put my house on it. I didn't put my house on it, but I did put quite a big bet on it, and I was devastated when it went the distance. I could not have predicted that. No one predicted that, actually. Um, It was a slower start than I expected from Hergovich. He was backing up. He was inviting the Chinese uh, heavyweight to put the pressure on, obviously, Zili Zhang. And I didn't think he was making Zhang work hard enough to win the rounds early on, but Zhang was racking up these early rounds for me. Um, I felt that that slow pace would suit Zhang, and Hergovic was just playing into his hands, and then Hergovic just started to look really basic. It was just really like, um, you know, a confusing performance from, from Hergovic. And as you would say, Eddie... You know, he seemed to be straight up and down with no special effects, that kind of thing. Um, Obviously, he's strong and powerful, but he just doesn't have anything special. Um, Zhang had a massive round six, and like I say, I thought Zhang would get it on points. um, And yeah, a lot of people felt the same. Hergovic, maybe with a gift decision. Um, Yeah, you've unmuted yourself a few times, Eddie, so I think you're raring to tell me what you thought about that fight. (laughs) Well, yeah, I was actually, funny enough, I, I was actually in camp. A little bit was Zili Zhang. Uh, he was he's a nice guy, real nice dude. Um, and I was even talking to one of my guys, Bashir, you know, my trainer, one of my trainers, one of my good good friends too. And he was like, "It's a can't miss. Hergovich probably gonna get him out of there, especially since we were watching the sparring." And I seen a couple times uh, he was in there sparring with a few guys. Like one was that one guy was Damian Niaba. My other guy, it's hard for me to say his name. I don't I don't want to butcher it, so I'm not even going to try was in there also with uh, Zili Zhang, and he was doing well. So, And I'm not saying Zhang wasn't doing great, I mean, because he would do good at times, but it was sparring. They were working on things. And, you know, I was kind of drinking the Kool-Aid that uh, Bashir was serving, so I was thinking, okay, maybe Eric Ergovich is just that guy. But when the fight started and I started to watch how it played out, I was like, man, this is a winnable fight for Zhang. I was thinking, actually, he's got a good chance of stopping him as you know, things were looking at, you know, the first shot was a more of a push or, or a pull down and all of that, but it was just the mood of the fight early, even in the first round and a half, it just didn't look as I would expect. I thought the Ergovich was going to come out and just literally start putting his hands all over Zang. 
and it was just going to be like, there's nothing he could do, you know, because Zeng's not a super fast guy. And he's a big puncher, big, strong guy, but not a speed guy. And he doesn't have a great gas tank, obviously. But it was kind of shocking when it looked like at times Hergovich was just about to quit. It looked like he was about to go right down to his knee and just say, you know what the hell with this. But then he would come back and he would start. It was almost like, man, I can't lose this fight. I can't, I can't quit in this fight. I got to keep trying. I got to, you know, it was like somebody had, had almost had a gun on him. It was like, hey, I don't give a damn how tired you are. I don't care how much you're hurt. I don't care if you're seeing three people hit the one in the middle. You know what I mean? It was like he had to keep going. Otherwise, somebody was going to get him out of there after that. So it, it, was, it, was, it was an amazing thing to see him continue even after it looked like he had nothing left and he was going to get stopped. But uh, I was – impressed more with Zhang and I was like hey look my guy's actually doing all right you know what I mean I thought and I just and I didn't think that he would do as good as he was doing and some of those left hands I'm surprised Ergovich was still standing after he got caught with him. you know so it just the, the fight in general was actually a really good heavyweight fight it was it was slow pace at first but it picked up a little and you know it was actually slow pace you know because neither one of them were well actually Ergovich does have pretty decent speed but Zhang in particular kind of dropped that that level down pretty low as far as with speed, but uh, the activity of it and just the mood of the fight turned out to be really good. It actually was a really interesting, good heavyweight fight. I thought Zhang should have won it. I was actually impressed with with the way he stayed in there, even though he was dog tired at the end. Both of them were dog tired, um, but you know, fair play, Ergovich got the decision. But he just doesn't look unbeatable as what everybody was making it seem before the fight. Yeah, I mean, that's a guy who people were saying Michael Hunter was afraid to fight, you know. Um, And yeah, I was shocked at how basic he looked the other night. And like I say, a lot of people felt he was given a gift decision win over Zhang, who I really thought would get steamrolled as early as maybe one or two rounds. And he made me look so foolish because Zhang seemed to display a lot more dog. Um, that than than I thought he had actually. So um, not so sure about Zhang anymore. You know, I think um, you know there's obviously styles that he's not going to look good against. And even though Hergovic was so awful, somehow he did get the victory. Like I said, I don't think he deserved it, but he did have some big rounds. That's undeniable. There were rounds where he seemed to hurt Zhang. Um, so yeah, Hergovic, as you said, Eddie, seemed to be at times looking out of the ring and turning his back a bit. He just seemed like so despondent, like he was just, his mind was elsewhere or something. I know it hasn't been too long since he lost his, his father. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll let him off there, but he manages to stay undefeated Mm -hmm. somehow. Um, moving up the card once again, Callum Smith with a big win, a KO in round four. He's now 29-1, and one. friend of the show, Callum Smith, the win here against the Frenchman, Mathieu Baudelique, now 21-2, and two. Baudelique down twice in that fourth and final round. Um, yeah, really exciting fight. Baudelique came to, you know, give it a real good go. He came to try and knock um, Callum Smith out, and he had some success early on, but... Yeah, I mean, in that final round, boy, oh boy, Smith just turned into a wrecking machine and he dropped Baudelik with a left hook early on in the round. Baudelik, of course, got back up, tried to come back strong. Um, Smith just swarmed him, really, with the cleverer shots and finished the fight with that dynamite left hook. It was brutal. Um, And yeah, I mean, arguably, Callum Smith is the best fighter we have in Britain. And it was great to just see him back with a bang against a guy of a very decent level, Baudelik. You know, he's not a he's not a 
mug at all. He's got some good wins under the resume, especially recently. He's in good form and everything. But Callum Smith has just showed there that he is leagues above this kind of level. And yeah, I mean, he's really, I think, one of the best fighters in the world in his weight class, despite only boxing, I think, maybe six rounds in total at light heavyweight. We now know that he's going to be, I think, mandatory for Arta Baturbiev. That's a fight they're talking about for 2023. How mouth-watering can it possibly be? I'm so excited for him. Um, moving up the card to the main event, I'm going to just run through the rounds. I'm going to give in my scorecard here. Obviously, a split decision over 12 rounds for Alexander Usyk. He remains the... IBF, WBO, WBA, and IBO heavyweight world champion. Anthony Joshua now 24 and 3. Um, yeah, going to run through these rounds really quickly. First round I gave to Usyk. I didn't think there was much in it, to be honest. I felt that, um, you know, AJ came out in his boxing stance. He didn't apply the pressure, you know, straight away, which wasn't too... You know, it wasn't too alarming, to be honest. Uh, round two, I gave to Joshua. That was a close round. There wasn't really much in it at all. Um, some people, I think, gave that one to Usyk. Round three, I gave to Usyk just about. I felt the round could have gone either way, but I felt he just pinched it. AJ did have some nice moments in there as well, though. Um, I'm being really vague here, but just to go through it as quick as possible. But round four was, was a clear Usyk round. He started to turn up the heat. I felt it was a little bit too early, really, because Joshua wasn't yet showing any signs of slowing down or being phased by anything that Usyk brought to the table. Um, I didn't think Usyk needed to turn up the heat that early, but he did, so I gave it um, a Usyk round as well, so 3-1 for Usyk. Round 5, a Usyk round, and that was the round where Usyk got hit with a low blow and he needed a few seconds. He finished the round really strongly. Um... Round 6 and 7 I gave to Usyk. Round 8 I gave to Anthony Joshua. He landed some thunderous shots to the body of Usyk. And Usyk did well to stay on his feet, to be honest. It seemed like they were getting through. Um, round 9, he built on that AJ. It was a massive round for him. Usyk seemingly was in a lot of trouble. And he was being made to cover up and just take shots on the gloves. Possibly looked a bit hurt in there. And then as soon as that round ended, I told everyone I was watching the fight with, watch out for round 10. Usyk is going to come and do something big in round 10. Because I just I just know Anthony Joshua too well now. I've seen all of his fights. I, I can read his body language good. And I know that he expended a lot of energy in that um, in that ninth round. Even though there was no clear signs that that was the case and that he'd be you know, spent for the next round. I could just see something. And I know... Usyk's powers of recovery are unquestionable, to be honest. So, yeah, round 10, I was right. Usyk comes out. He has a huge round. Um, you know, Usyk recovered, obviously, between the rounds. Showed us why people call him a wizard. He was all over Anthony Joshua. And then the final two rounds I gave to Usyk as well. So, if I just tally that up, I gave uh, Joshua round 2, round 8, round 9... And that was it. So I had it 9-3 for Usyk in the end. People, of course, are ridiculing this scorecard that the US judge Glenn Feldman handed in. The neutral official, by the way, because obviously we had a British judge, a Ukrainian judge, and an American judge, Glenn Feldman, who handed in the clear bad scorecard of the three. Um, yeah, I mean... I'm going to be brief, like I say, but yeah, Anthony Joshua, I didn't find out anything more about Usyk than I first thought the first time round. Again, I was one of those few people that picked um, Usyk to beat Joshua um, pretty much as soon as he moved up to heavyweight, to be honest. I always thought he would be able to beat Anthony Joshua. 
So I wasn't surprised the first time round, and I certainly wasn't surprised the second time round. It was pretty much more of the same. I think, you know, a lot of people were saying Anthony Joshua needed to be more aggressive, and you correctly said, um, Eddie, that it can't just be balls to the wall. He has to think about what he's doing. He has to be careful. He has to know when to be aggressive and when not to. I think we saw a little bit of that, to be honest with you, but it still just wasn't good enough, and he's just not good enough to beat Alexander Usyk. There's no shame in that, but Usyk Mm. was as we said, too smart. And that really is the bottom line. He's just not going to be able to beat this guy if they had 100 fights, I don't think. Mm-hmm. It, it would be, if I, out of 100, he might beat him at a, at a, temper, at a, at a 10, well, maybe a 1% clip. You know what I mean? It, it all, it all, it's all in the punching. You know what I mean? And landing a big punch for me. He got a puncher's chance in the fight. And I think Anthony Joshua showed you at times, you know, that's where it looked like hell. He can make a he can make a change. He landed those good body shots. He's about, possibly could get him out of there, but that was his only shot. And I think with Andy Joshua, it's like, yeah, he has the ability or the you know the the the, the athleticism, the physical uh, uh, stature to beat a guy like Usyk, but he lacks what he needed from the beginning, and that's certain a certain skill level, a certain understanding, a certain savvy that he needs to be able to beat a guy like Usyk. It's like when you look at what he does, remember Usyk is only, what, 6'2", 6'3", maybe, and Anthony Joshua is 6'6". He should be able to box him from the outside, theoretically. You know what I mean? If, if, if Usyk fights Tyson Fury, my thing would be, obviously, Tyson is going to have to keep him at bay, keep him at a safe distance, make sure he's not able to get those nice little crispy combinations off in, in, in a position where it can be effective, right? So when you look at Anthony Joshua, why can't he do that? Well, it's because there's certain things that certain people have. And I'm not trying to say that Anthony Joshua is not a good fighter. He is a good fighter. Obviously, look what he's done. He's had a hell of a career. He may become a, you know, a Hall of Famer in the future. So it's like you got you to gotta give credit in the sense where, where, where it's due. But when we're talking about the elite of the elite of the elite, he's not going to be able to compete to be able to compete. It's just not. Not with a guy like Usyk or a guy like Tyson Fury. I even hesitate to say this. Some people are going to probably be mad at me. But if he was to fight Deontay Wilder, I'd pick Wilder. And it's not because I don't think Anthony Joshua was a better fighter. Because I do think he's the better fighter than Wilder. But I just think that Wilder has a certain level of belief. A certain, obviously, that hellified right hand that he has that maybe one of the most unorthodox things you'll ever see, but one of the most effective things you'll ever see. And I think in a fight, a 12-round fight, first of all, I don't think it would go to distance with those guys. One of them's going to knock the other out, and I would have picked Wilder nine out of ten times. And why? Because he, Wilder has that blind belief in himself and an understanding of how to utilize that right hand in the most awkward way possible. And I think that's how he would win that fight. Once again, I'm not trying to say Joshua's the bottom of the totem pole of the top guys in the world. But in this case, it proves to be that he just comes up second. Maybe it's mentality. I think I lean, I lean toward his mentality and his, his, his belief in himself at times. But it's also certain skill level. Because if he had a super-duper high skill level and, and IQ in the ring, he would be able to overcome some of that lack of belief. You know what I mean? I've done it. Because I've had – I'm going to be honest. I've had – there's been fights I've gone into – where I've had a lack of belief in myself and just because of my high skill level, I was able to compete, not only compete, I was able to win fights that most people thought I wasn't. I wasn't going to win. You understand what I'm saying? 
So I think where maybe people were expecting Joshua to be able to beat Usyk because of what he looks like and because of what he has created in some of these other fights, they're falling asleep. I mean, they're, 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 they're expecting to see that happen, but Andy Joshua just doesn't have it. You understand what I'm saying? I know it sounds like I'm, I'm being an asshole about him, but I'm not. I'm just trying to give you an understanding of what he doesn't have and what he's not able to get to. You know what I mean? He's great. He's done great things in his career, but he's just not going to be able to get over this, this hump. He's not going to be able to beat a Usyk, in my opinion. He's not going to be able to beat a Tyson Fury, and I don't think he would be able to beat uh, Deontay Wilder either. And it's just unfortunate because he, of all of them, may be one of the most, probably the most athletic, maybe maybe Wilder, maybe, might, might be a, a, a bit more so, but it's just unfortunate that the sport is based off skills and experience, and 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 you know, there's there's other little things, and I think that's where Wilder may <laughs> may fit in. But um, and he's just always going to come up second. Um, and and you know where he may be better than Wilder in skill, he falls he, he falls second in mentality and 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 determination and things like that. So it's just it's unfortunate for him. He's still a great fighter. I still give him credit. Uh, for what he's done in his career, and hopefully he'll still do some other great things. Hopefully he proves me wrong, maybe in some of these fights in the future. But um, it's just like he's not going to get over that best of the best hump. He's not going to be that. He's always going to come second. And hey, there's no shame in that. He's done great things already. Um, you know, that's, I'm just excited to see what's going to be going on in the heavyweight division in the next few uh, years. Hopefully I can have something to say in that. <laughs> but right now. Um, uh, it's just an exciting time, even though the heavyweight division, a lot of people look at it and say, you know, it's top heavy because it is. But there are some talented guys coming up and there's still some older guys who are still around, too. So, yeah, you know, it's it, it, it's, this was a good night of fights. We saw two 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 good heavyweight fights that I, I can remember right now. And, uh, yeah, it was it was a good night. Yeah, it was a good night. It was a good night. I don't think Anthony Joshua by any means is done. I think there's still fights out there for him. He's still a big name. Of course he is. It doesn't really matter, um, you know, what happened on the weekend. I think he still has big fights in him. Obviously, there's some interesting fights, like, for example, the Zili Zhang fight. Um, maybe not the name that they want him in with, you know, but in China, they'd love that, even though Zhang just lost on the undercard. But there's still big fights out there, you know. Um, Dillian White... Uh, rematch is another one that's being highly, highly talked about because I think they said Anthony Joshua does want to fight again before the year's out, which, to be honest, I can't see happening. But anyway, all the best to him. Um, Alexander Usyk, I think, you know, we all want to see the Fury fight. Whether or not we're going to see it, we just don't know. But yeah, he is the man at the minute and he's certainly the man of the moment. Um, anyway, moving on, moving on to the next card. This one here was at the... Um, at the Pechanga Arena in San Diego, California. It was live on ESPN. They also showed it on Sky Sports. Um, top in the bill, Emmanuel Navarrete now 20... Oh, sorry, not 20. 36-1. and one, A KO in round six against Eduardo Baez, who's now 21-3 uh, with two draws. It was a, def a defense there of Navarrete's WBO World Featherweight title. Baez down and out from a body shot in that sixth round. A really exciting fight while it lasted. 
Um, yeah, Navarrete looked good again. Um, also on the undercard, Giovanni Santalam with a win now 30-0. and 0, A unanimous decision there over 10 rounds against Julio Avila, who's now 19-1 and 1 with two draws. He loses his O. Um, what else did we have? A win for Lindolfo Delgado, now 16-0. and 0, A unanimous decision over eight against Omar Aguilar, who loses his O. He's now 24-1. and 1. Um, Nico Ali Walsh, the grandson of Muhammad Ali, now 6-0, a TK, not a TKO, an actual KO in, sec, in, in the second round of a scheduled four-rounder against Reyes Sanchez, the man that he was able to beat by majority decision earlier on in his career. They had the rematch, and Nico Ali Walsh gets him out in just the second round. Um, so yeah, Nico Ali Walsh can now say he's knocked out everyone that he's been in the ring with. So I'm happy for him. Nice enough kid. Um, and yeah, really happy to see him do that. And he looked like he's improved a lot since that, that first fight. I think we all kind of knew that anyway. But he proved it against the same opponent. So really good stuff for him. Moving out now to the Mohegan Sun Casino in Connecticut, USA over here. Friend of the show, the heavyweight Cassius Cheney with a first round TKO win against Matthew McKinney. Who's now 9-6 and six with three draws. Cassius Cheney now 22 and 1. Um, moving out now to the final card to mention, it took place at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Hollywood, Florida. It was live on Showtime. Um, who was on this card? A fight here for the vacant WBA World Super Lightweight title. Alberto Pueyo now champion of the world, 21 and 0. A split decision over 12 rounds against Botison. Akhmadov, who's now 9-2. and two. I didn't see the fight. I'm going to hold my hands up. Um, a win for Hector Luis Garcia, now 16-0. and 0. He was able to beat Roger Gutierrez for the WBA World Super Featherweight title. A unanimous decision there over 12 rounds for Hector Garcia. Gutierrez now 26-4 and four with a draw. Um, elsewhere on that card, Brandon Lee, the prospect, now... 26-0, a unanimous decision over 10 rounds against Will Madeira, who's now 17-2 with three draws. However, Brandon Lee himself was down, and down heavy in the third round. Um, really heavy. I think, to be honest with you, the bell come at a good time. He was all over the place, a massive knockdown. But he come back and managed to win on points, so that's promising to see a young guy do that. Um, elsewhere on the card, Ishmael Barroso with a KO win in round four against, I think, late edition Fernando Salcedo, now 63-10 and 10 with three draws. Ishmael Barroso now 24-3 and three with two draws. A big upset as well on the card, Roche Warren now 19-4. and four. I said it on last week's show, he hasn't really been in big fights for a long time. He's kind of been frozen out of the sport. He's a former world champion who no one talks about at all, and he lost here to Francisco Portillo who's now 18 and 11 with two draws. I think he was a 30 to 1 underdog if I'm not mistaken. What a shock there. And that was over 6 rounds. You'd have thought that um, Roche Warren could have just won four out of six rounds against this guy. No, no, no. And the main event, Omar Figueroa Jr. loses. Um, his father pulled him out in between rounds after eight after round 8. Uh, he didn't come out for round nine against Sergei Lipinets. Again, there was an opponent change on fight week for Omar Figueroa, which is so tough when, when I said it on last week's show as well. He, he's, he's been preparing for Adrian Broner for the entire camp, um, and he gets in with Lipinets. Completely different style. Everything is totally different. Lipinets probably a bigger puncher, you know, stronger, all the rest of it. Um, Omar Figueroa now 28 and 3 with a draw. Lipinets now 17 and 2 with a draw. Um, both men were friends of the show. Figueroa down in round 2. 
It was for the WBC Silver Super Lightweight title. Figueroa, off the back of that, has decided to retire. I don't think he won a single round. He looked, you know, a shell of his former self. Tried to, you know, bite down on the gum shield, which we know that the Figueroas love to do. They just throw punches, they're aggressive, but he just kept getting picked off, and Lipinets was just too good. And I feel for Figueroa because it's not ideal, like I say, to have the last-minute opponent change for a fight that meant everything, because it was like, if I lose this fight, that's it. And that was going to be the case, I think, against Adrian Broner, but he... He, you know, got a new opponent, but still stuck with that promise to himself. And unfortunately, it's a shame that he goes out like that. But, you know, he's had struggles outside of the ring. And, yeah, if that's what he wants to do, then I'm pleased for him that he doesn't have to carry on in this sport that he's done for many years and hasn't enjoyed, to be totally honest. So, all the best to Omar Figueroa. Really, really good guy. Um, got a lot of time for Omar. But that brings the review part of the show to a close. The final thing for me to do just before we wrap up this part of the show is to welcome this week's special guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former IBF and WBC female bantamweight champion of the world. It is, of course, Miss Susie Q. Susie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. How are you going? Hey, it's very well over this side. I'm really pleased to have you on. So, Susie, first things first, how are you? I know you boxed over the weekend against former WBO Super Flyweight World Champion Tomoko Okuda. Um, tell me about that and how you are. Um, well, I'm feeling good now. Um, like I'm ready to go again, so I recovered pretty good. Um, obviously, it was, you know, it was never going to be an easy fight being out of the ring for two and a half years. Um, due to COVID and all that sort of stuff. But, but you know, Akuda was obviously a former world champion and um, a very awkward fighter, a lot taller and, you know, she had a long reach. And, yeah, just a little bit frustrating sort of fighter. So, um, you yeah, know, stayed, stayed well composed and, um, yeah, got the job done. <laughs> and I did see a photo of your arm. It looked horrendously bruised. How's the arm? <laughs> <laughs> it's still got the colour there, but it's there's no pain at all, which is weird. Um, I don't even know how it happened, to be honest. I'm not sure if it's because she did a little bit of um, uh, some cheeky stuff, you know, some pushing, and uh, I don't know if it sort of rubbed my arm on the uh, on the ropes or something. I'm uh, not sure, but yeah, it's all right. <laughs> there's no pain, so it's all good. No pain, so it's all good. There we go. Um, obviously, Susie, you've been a pro now for almost 15 years, and I do want to go back in my virtual time machine to um, February 20th, 2011, in Parkville, Victoria, um, over 11 and a half years ago now, the night you won the IBF Bantamweight World title by widely outpointing Terry Lynn Cruz over 10 two-minute rounds. Tell me what you remember about that night, and of course, tell me how much it meant to you to win that title. Um, although I, I, I remember, because um, with the IBF, obviously you do two weigh-ins um, the night before and the day of the fight, and I don't really put I don't put much weight on, so it was only maybe like you know, a couple of hundred grams, and I jumped on the scales the next day, and and her and her coach was sort of laughing at me and just sort of be cheeky to sort of get me off my game, and oh, you didn't put much weight on you, you know. Uh, she's going to be a lot stronger than you. And it's like, I just laughed and thought, yeah, no worries. <laughs> but um, yeah, I ended up boxing her. And and um, honestly, that was, it was an amazing feeling to win the IBF, being the first female in Australia to win the IBF world t- title. So um, yeah, it was definitely an amazing feeling. And 
Just wanted more after that. <laughs> yeah, and Terry Lynn Cruz never wanted more because she'd never boxed again after that, by the way. Um, what happened, Susie? Because am I right in saying that you vacated that world title but then ended up fighting for the exact same belt only eight months later, but it was vacant? What happened there? Oh, no, I didn't vacate it. Unfortunately, um, I couldn't get a fight, and... I got stripped from the title. Um, I think because we, we've asked Gavin Rivers to come to Melbourne, Australia, she wouldn't come to Australia to fight me. And, um, you know, being rejected from girls to fight and stuff like that. So they uh, stripped me from the title. And then all of a sudden, Gavin Rivers was the top person to be able to go for the title. So we said, mate, like, it's not our fault that, you know, I got stripped, I was ready to fight. <laughs> um, and at least give us that chance to fight Gavin Rivers for it again. So, um, yeah, that's what happened. <laughs> yeah, it seems messy because obviously it's not like you were avoiding the fight. You did end up fighting Yaz um, Rivas. Obviously, let's touch on that there. You boxed her in Mexico again for the vacant IBF, um, which, as we say, was your title eight months earlier. You boxed in Mexico. Um, she was a good fighter, by the way. You boxed her, obviously, in her backyard. You lost a split over 10. I mean, when you go and box a fighter in their backyard and you lose a split, sometimes that speaks for itself. Did you feel that you was on the hard end of the decision that night? I believe I won that fight. Um, I think if you watch it, you, you know, I clearly won that fight. And obviously, like, it, it was never going to be easy. It was the first time I ever travelled, you know, overseas um, and Mexico very far. So, um, yeah, and everything's sort of against you. And But, you know, for me, I think a great experience and to be able to go there and, and you know, create some lots of Mexican fans. And, um, you know, it was a good fight, good opponent. She was tough and... Um, yeah, so unfortunately, you know, it's boxing and you win some, you lose some. So, you know, it's what happened, unfortunately. And obviously after that loss, you bounce back with a win in Flemington, then you jump right back in for another world title, this time the WBC Bantamweight world title, uh, the belt that everyone as a boxer wants to win. July 13th, 2012 was the date against a lady who I'm kind of struggling to pronounce her name, to be honest with you, Susie, but can you pronounce it? <laughs> Yeah, it's you, Santa Corn. Tokyo Gym. Yeah. Okay, so you've got actually, to... um, yeah, pri- yeah, yeah. But prior to that, I went straight in for the WBC international title against Alicia Grass. So that was another tough fight. Um, yeah, so I bounced back with that, and 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 I beat Alicia Grass, and then I fought, gave me that um, number one position to fight the world champion, you, Santa Corn, and yeah, that's when I fought you, Santa Corn, for the world title, and I won that. <laughs> Yeah, you beat her unanimously over 10. Um, after winning that title, you were out of the ring for two years. Um, what kept you out so long at the time, Susie, if you can remember? No one wanted to fight me. <laughs> <laughs> we called out so many girls and they didn't want to fight me. And I don't get it because I find that the quality of girls at that time were really good. And they were girls who wouldn't be afraid to sort of fight anyone and because there wasn't as many girls. So, it, you know, we'd all fight each other. We weren't afraid to. But, um, yeah, which was really weird. Um, I'm not sure because of the controversial about my opponent being uh, transgender, uh, that that might have, you know, worried um, the fighters not to fire me because they beat up uh, transgender. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But I was always training and, you know, I'd fight every week if I could. But... You know, it's just supposed to stay out of my hands, you know. I don't have any control of all that, so 
Yeah, and after two years, went to Mexico again. He hasn't wanted my WBC title this time. <laughs> exactly. I was going to say, you go straight back in off off, off of two years out, um, this time losing <laughs> unanimously. Um, did you did you feel like mm. you did enough that time, Susie, or not? It was hard because being out of the ring for two years and, you know, travelling all the way to Mexico, the high, you know, the high altitude and the, the you know, the... the, the Weather difference, time zone difference. It's pretty hard, but I feel I could have done a little bit better, but I did my best at that with everything that, like, that was against me. Um, so, you know, look, and for me, I think a great accomplishment is that, you know, I didn't get hurt. I didn't get knocked out or anything like that because being out of the ring so, for so long, it's pretty easy to sort of, um, yeah, get hurt. So um, I think that was... It's good experience and great achievement for me. Yeah. But yeah, but I think she was just, Yasna Rivers was just waiting for good time, a good time to sort of get me. It was the same thing with the IBF. Okay, it was vacant and then they grabbed it and then uh, waited for this WBC and thought, okay, she's been out for two years, it'd be a good chance to, to beat her. So um, yeah, pretty smart. <laughs> Yeah, because I do want to say, obviously, after the first fight, you only had the two fights, and then you're out for two years. In that time, she had eight fights between uh, the two fights with you. So, yeah. Um, obviously, that second fight with Rivas, now Susie's eight years ago. Since then, you've boxed seven times. It's all been a bit stop-start. Obviously, you've had COVID. We've heard over here in the UK that the restrictions in Australia are absolutely crazy. Um yeah, were you were you ever officially retired at any point? Obviously, prior to COVID. No, no, never officially retired. Look, the the lockdown was we did have the longest lockdown in the world here in Melbourne, so um, it was pretty hard. And then obviously, um, my father had some health issues, and it was like, you know, do I do I keep going? Do I not? And my, you know, and my dad wanted me to continue and. I just, I just thought that I didn't want to give up just like that. So I've never retired. I've just always been training and just, just been hard to get fights. And even now, being out of the ring um, during that COVID time, and at my age, I think it'd be easy to get opponents. But we had a few who rejected to fight me, saying they're not ready. I mean, if they're not ready to fight me at my age, being out of the ring for two and a half years, then what's to say they'd ever be ready? I mean, they would never be ready if I was in my 20s. Um, so I was... You know, I was, I was so happy that Akuda accepted to fight me. Like, they said yes straight away, but obviously they needed a bit more time to prepare. Um, so I think I think, I think think she may have said yes because I don't feel... I feel that she's, she's a fighter that I don't think many fighters would want to fight because she's so awkward. Um, so she would probably find it hard to get fights as well. Um, you know, styles make fights, so... It'd be, yeah, it's it's very hard to sort of look good against someone like Akuda. But, you know, I'll take whatever I can get. She was number five in the IBF and former world champion. So I went straight in for it and um, adapted to her style. And um, you got to do what you got to do. So boxing. <laughs> and I can attest to what you say there when you said that you had a few opponents. Because every time I'd look, I'd see a new name almost every five or six hours there seemed to be a different name coming in for this comeback fight you had um i want to i want to touch on this as well obviously you boxed at super flyweight dare i say it was that probably a weight that was kind of all along you were better suited to even though you were champion at bantam i feel like you were always a tiny bit small for bantam like you probably could have made super fly all along no 
Yeah, yeah, I am very small for Bantamweight. I know, like, most of all the well, most of the girls that uh, fight at Bantamweight, they walk around at um, over heavy, uh, over uh, featherweight. They're a lot bigger than featherweight, so um, they've always been a lot bigger than me. And it's only like one kilo difference. Um, so with Bantamweight, I pretty much walk around at Bantamweight. Like I could eat steak every night and still make weight for Bantam, <laughs> you know. And um, yeah, whereas Superfly, I mean, I fought for the WIBA at Superfly. Um, and that was it, like, only had four weeks, five weeks of preparation. So I made the weight comfortably. And, um, yeah, and so this one was like, she, she actually wanted it at 53 kilos. So it was just in between um, Superfly and Bannon. Um, so we accepted that. We said, yeah, no problem. And, yeah, but, um, yeah, so I, I made weight easy. <laughs> And Susie, women's boxing is probably more on fire now than it probably ever has been, and certainly as well in Australia, uh, with the likes of Sky Nicholson, who's making a lot of noise, and of course Ebony Bridges. Um, what are your opinion on those two? They seem to be making a lot of noise, getting a lot of uh, views as well worldwide. Yeah, well, I think it's great. It's great for them, um, and great for Aussie or women's boxing. Um, we don't hear too much about Sky Nicholson here in Australia um, or Ebony Bridges. I think she's quite popular in the UK. Um, but, yeah, look, I mean, if they're, they're doing well and, um, you know, Sky Nicholson, I see her having a good future. She's young and she's got a lot of potential and, and uh, yeah, she can go a long way. Yeah, I really particularly like Sky as well because um, she's a very good boxer, very good mover. And, um, yeah, I think her yeah. Bu- uh, future is bright. I think she's maybe going to be boxing um, perhaps on the... I think there's a big card in Australia they're talking about that she's going to be having a bit of a homecoming on, if I'm not mistaken. Could be wrong. Um, I wanted to mention this as well, Susie. Obviously, um, you do have you know, a life after boxing. Obviously, you. I think you've got a, a different job. You, you touched on earlier on when we spoke before the interview. I think it was yesterday, actually. I'm getting the time wrong now. But, um, yeah, tell us about the other job that you have, aside from boxing. Oh, I did some life coaching, so I sort of help, um, you know, the young kids and women and um, people who are going through a tough time and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I really enjoy I enjoy helping people out, so... Um, yeah, that's something I do on the side. Um, and apart from, like, also, um, I do some... I train people boxing as well. Um, but obviously, like, there's only a certain amount I could do because uh, being a fighter, that's pretty much full-time job itself. Um, so, I mean, it's all, all the things that I do is I enjoy it. So, um, yeah, that's the best, best part about it. But especially during this COVID time, a lot of people have been um, really struggling mentally. So, um, yeah, that's where I come in and sort of um, mentor them and and help them sort of recover with things and, and you know, um, help them with their goals and to move forward and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's, it's good. It's really good. Well, credit to you. That's an amazing thing for you to do. Um, I want to ask Susie, what's next for you in terms of your fighting career? Obviously, you're fresh off your win uh, the other week, but what, what's next? Do you know at this stage? Um, well, there was some talk about um, fighting. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm even. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say this, but we got we got asked to fight Jamie Mitchell um, on the Canberra Thundercard, 
I accepted because it's a great opportunity here in Melbourne on George Cambosis, you know, um, show. And uh, now we then we heard that she cannot travel to Australia because she can't get a visa. Um, so I'm not sure what's happening now because I only just found that out um, just after my fight. So, um, yes, I don't think that's going to happen. But, um, yeah, yeah, look, it would have been great. I think, like, I'm, I'm Australia's best, um, obviously, of success, you know, one of the most successful Australian boxers. So to be on George Cambrose's card would have been, obviously, <laughs> so good for women's boxing, especially with all these young girls coming up and comers as well. Um, but, yeah, so unfortunately that's the case. That's the situation there. So, I mean, now that I beat um, Akuda, who's number five um, in the ratings, that would bring me right up to the top of the ratings. Because uh, I was up in the top of the ratings before um, fighting her, but obviously because I was inactive, I sort of I was out of the ratings, and now fighting her, that should get me right back up again so I can have an opportunity to fight for a super flyweight world title. So I'm happy with whatever I can get, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, it's definitely want another world title. Yeah, I was going to say, I wanted to ask what your kind of goals were at this stage. Obviously, I think, what are you now, 43? You've been a world champion. Most of your boxing years are behind you now, I think is the best way to put it. But, um, yeah, I wanted to ask what your goals were at this stage. So it is another world title for sure. Yeah, definitely. It's about what I've been working towards, um, getting a world title for many years now. Um, you know, obviously, I've had no control of COVID and lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. and. Um, and yeah, so it's what I've been working towards and I don't want to give up without doing something that I actually, that was a goal of mine. Um, and you know, I want to do things properly, work my way up the ratings and, and get my title that way just feels, um, much better, you know, um, knowing that you worked your way up there and, and got there. And I think if I win a world title now at my age and, um, for these many years that I've wanted a major world title, I think that'll probably be one of my biggest highlights of my career i'd say <laughs> so fingers crossed it happens yeah no that'd be fabulous that's something to uh you know use for hunger um you you touched on the fact that the jamie mitchell fight was floated around doesn't look like it's going to happen obviously in the uk we know her very well for dethroning shannon courtney and becoming champion um aside from her is there any girls that are kind of on the tip of your tongue that you'd want to fight in the near future or just anyone I'm happy with fighting anyone, to be honest, as long as um you know it works both ways, not just the one way um road. It's got to work um, both ways. So we're you know for both um, fighters and both teams, it's got to work both ways. So yeah, um anyone really, like I said, I'd love to fight um for a world title. So anyone that's got a world title, if, like I and and obviously Jamie Mitchell, that that's at bantamweight. And if I was to fight her at Bantamweight, that would risk me losing my ratings in Superfly that I only just got back in there. So I was even willing to take that. Um, but, you know, that's not going to happen. So if a good opportunity comes ahead, um, you know, I'm happy to do so. But, yeah, just um, I think my team's in talk now, so we've just got to wait and see what happens. Happy to fight anyone, whoever's got a title. There <laughs> we go, absolutely. And just finally, Susie, before we let you go, if you've got any closing words, I like to throw this over to all the fighters that I interview, just to uh, just to wrap things up with anything that you want to say at all before we let you go. The floor is yours, Susie. For me, I think it's you know I've got to really thank my. 
fans and supporters, you know, it's because I've been around for such a long time and, you know, hearing my fans say that they've, you know, they've watched my career over the years. It's, it's just, it's an amazing feeling because, you know, they've been there from the beginning and, um, and they still continue to support me. And also for the new fans and supporters who jump on board as well. I mean, uh, yeah, I appreciate them so much. And all the people that put in the work and help out and the team and, and stuff like that. And, yeah, so, um, it, you know, it's what helps us um, become who we are, right? <laughs> Absolutely. And you can't tell new people to start supporting without telling them your social media handles, Susie. Where can they follow you on socials? Oh, I'm all over the place. So I'm on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter, Susie Q, Ramadan. Um, yeah, you can find me anywhere on socials. Yeah, and on Twitter, Susie Q Ramadan One is the place to find Susie at. But listen, Susie, I just want to say it's been a real pleasure talking with you. Thank you for your time. Congrats once again on your win, and I'm sure we'll speak again real soon. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, the news part of the show. Uh, we're going to start here with this one. Devin Haney, George Cambosos, Jr. The rematch is on October 15th in Melbourne. So back to Australia for Devin Haney. Um, yes, yeah, the rematch that I don't think anyone really wanted to see. I think it's probably going to be the repeat of the first fight, to be totally honest with you. Um, but yeah. You know, he's invoked that rematch clause and Devin Haney didn't have a choice. He had to take it. So, um, yeah, I mean, not really looking forward to it, but that is some news that we had to bring to you. Also, in other news, this one goes down on October 8th. So the week before, we're going to see Sebastian Fandora getting in with Carlos Acampo. So that's going to be a good fight there between two contenders. Um, it's a decent card, top to bottom as well. We're going to see... Um, Fernando Martinez, the IBF junior bantamweight world champion, get in with Jerwin and Cajas as well. That's a rematch there. Um, also, we're going to see Carlos Adames on the card and a few others. So, yeah, good to see um, the towering inferno topping a card. Um, in other news, it's been announced as well, Fury versus Hunter. Huey Fury versus Michael Hunter, the card has been finally rescheduled it's going to be going down in Birmingham not Manchester like it was supposed to be before it's going to be Saturday October 29th in Birmingham so um, yeah that's fantastic to see that one rescheduled obviously it's going to be live on Sky Sports uh, that was announced earlier this week um, what else do we have the fact that Joe Joyce against Joseph Parker which you know it's already announced of course but that one's on September 24th that one's going to be on ESPN plus as well so that's fantastic for the US uh, fight fans there um, and finally it has been announced as well this card here Lee Wood he'll be defending his WBA featherweight world title in Nottingham at the Motor Point Arena against Maurizio Lara. That one is going to be Saturday, September 24th. So it's going to clash with Joe Joyce and Joseph Parker. We hate to see it happen. Um, but yeah, sometimes it happens in the UK and it's a real, real shame. Um, on the undercard, we're going to see Maxi Hughes getting in with Kid Galahad. And we're also going to see Hannah Rankin getting in, defending her... Um, her I think one or two world titles at super welterweight against Terry Harper, who I think's moving up about, 
I think what was she one three five? I think she was. So she's moving not just to one forty, not just to one four seven, but to one fifty four. So she's put on what's that nineteen pounds to to take this fight, which seems a bit crazy. I think she's going to be a lot smaller than Hannah Rankin, but we shall see. Um, hopefully, it's a good women's fight there. But that's it for the news part of the show. Moving on now to the preview part. This one. Uh, takes place probably in a couple of hours to be honest and by the time you listen to this show it's probably already going to have happened but Florian Marku um, 11 and 0 with a draw gets in with Miguel Ramirez who's 21 and 2 with a draw that one's going down at the Air Albania Stadium in Albania it's a boxer show as well um, also later tonight later tonight in the US it's going to be live on Fight TV at the Hangar in Costa Mesa California friend of the show Ernesto Mercado. 6-0 gets in with Alfredo Blanco, who's 22-10. and 10. Uh, Moving out now to tomorrow night. We're going to be going here to Serbia. We're going to see Murat Gassiev, 28-1, getting in with Carlos Welch, who's 21-2 with a draw. Um, haven't heard of Welch, but Gassiev needs to get going now. This, this, uh, this fight here is for the Eurasian Boxing Parliament heavyweight title. Get him in some big fights, please. What is he doing? Um, on Saturday now, we're going to move to the Packard Music Hall in Warren. Ohio. Uh, it's not going to be on TV, but over here, friend of the show, Dennis Duglin, 28 and 3, gets in with Cecil McCullough, who's 23 and 5. Um, I think I said Duglin's record wrong. 23 and 8 he is these days, and he gets in with McCullough, who's 23 and 5. That's over eight rounds there. Moving out now to the big one. It takes place at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Tulsa, Oklahoma, USA. It's going to be I guess live on Sky Sports in the UK and I'm assuming ESPN in the US. It has to be, I'm sure. It's a top rank card. We're going to see Effie Jagbar 15 and 1 getting in with Joseph Darmos, who's 14 and 4 with three draws over eight rounds there. We're going to see Jared Big Baby Anderson 11 and 0 getting in with Miljan Rov Cannon, who's 24 and 2. That's over eight rounds as well. And the main event, two former titleists. Jose Pedraza, 29 and 4, getting in with friend of the show, Richard Comey, 30 and 4. Um, it's going to be a really good fight, that one, I think. Obviously, Pedraza, very underrated boxer. Not by me, I've always rated him very highly, but. Um Gets in here with Richard Comey, who obviously was a real banger at lightweight, but he's having his first fight here at 140. That's where the fight's been made. So all the best to Richard Comey. I'd love to see him do it. The Ghanaian um, fighter, former world champion. Very, very nice guy. Very humble. Um, we've blown through the news and the preview part of the show in part two. Um, so, yeah. That is pretty much it. In part one, we did the review part. We welcomed our special guest after that. And in part two, I just finished the news and the preview part. We've blown through it so quickly that we didn't even need to come to Mr. Fast Eddie Chambers. So, yeah, the final thing for me to do just before we wrap this entire show up is to come in with the outro, which I'll do in just a few seconds. Okay, and this wraps up episode 358 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. Eddie Chambers has been with me for the duration of the show. A huge thank you to our special guest on this week's podcast, the former female IBF and WBC bantamweight world champion, Susie Q. Ramadan. Um, it was fantastic to have yet another female fighter on the podcast. It's been quite a few now. The biggest thanks of all, though, goes out to you, the listeners. Thanks once again for tuning in this week. That's about everything from myself though enjoy your weekends people stay safe and we shall see you all again next week